Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's good to read different opinions because if you're reading different opinions, then you can decide what angle you can use to to formulate a joke if you don't know what other people are saying you don't know what's on the other side of that coin how can you make a joke about it hello and welcome back to another episode of balancing acts in this conversation i talked to tv comedy writer christine rose Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they used to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health and lots more. If you have watched Graham Norton's show, Jonathan Ross show, Chatty Man, Have I Got News For You, 8 Out Of 10 Cats, Would I Lie To You, Roast Battle horrible histories, then you will most definitely have heard and seen some of Christine's work. She's also written on a ton of award shows, including the BAFTAs, the Brits, Royal Variety, as well as reality TV shows, dating shows, survival shows. She won TV Best Comedy Writer in the 2020 Funny Women Awards and has worked on loads and loads of shows. So it was fantastic talking to Christine about her journey, uh, how she's got to where she's got to in her career and the shifts that have or have not changed during her career in terms of uh, inclusion and diversity and lots, lots more. So yeah, this is, you may have noticed that this is, there was a gap and this is the first episode in about three weeks or so, maybe a bit longer. And that's partly to do with, uh, I had an accident and a Uber driver hit me while I was on a bicycle, while I was on my bicycle cycling. And uh, I went to A&E. I was all, it was all good, but I've uh, had to slow down a little bit. I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm fine. I uh, didn't have any life-changing moments. I didn't see the bright light or anything like that. I didn't get to have a review of my life. And I don't think I've come away with any life-changing thoughts except for that I should probably wear a helmet next time I'm cycling at night and not have a couple of margaritas before I get on my bike. I mean, it was a five-minute cycle home. I thought it would be fine. So that's partly why uh, we haven't had as many episodes as of late, but I am jumping back on the podcast horse. Also, in terms of audio ambience, the, the Blue Yeti mic, my faithful Blue Yeti 
was in my bag upon the collision and might might also have got busted up like me. So I'm currently using the the internal mic. You don't need to know this, but I need to let you know because just because really, I'm just sharing, just sharing with you guys. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, if you like it, if you're enjoying the series, please do rate and review it on Apple. And that's it. So without further ado, over to Christine. Perfect. So you've done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot in the course of your career as a as a TV writer. There's loads, loads to cover. Um, why don't we just kick things off way back? Oh, way back. It wasn't way back, but you know, at the, right. at the, at the beginning. Sorry, yeah, right, yeah. In the last couple of years, last couple of years at the beginning. Uh, talk me through, because I know you didn't. Sort of from what I've read, you didn't intentionally decide you know it wasn't a sort of thing right from the beginning we like i'm going to be a tv writer a gag writer you kind of it became it was a bit more casual is that right you, you fell into yeah. it as opposed to setting out to do it yeah i didn't know i didn't know it was a job yeah i mean i knew people wrote sitcoms obviously i knew that you could be a, a comedy writer in terms of you know writing sitcoms and comedies on tv but i didn't really know that people had writers in terms of you know I never thought about it in terms of panel shows and chat shows and those sorts of things yeah and and no one does you know most people don't think about it because when you when you talk to the general public about about it they go oh I didn't I didn't really know that was a thing or I didn't know they had writers or you know it's kept it's sort of kept quite quiet here whereas in America it's all you know, thanks to my writers, I wouldn't be able to do this without my writers. Sorry about my accent. Uh, you know, and uh, they're given awards and they're, you know, they talk about it a lot. And yeah. nobody's ashamed of having a writer and nobody tries to hide the fact that there's 20 writers on a on a, on a a chat show. Why Whereas do you here, think that is? Why do you think that is over here that we don't do that and celebrate writers in the same way? I don't know. I think there's... I think there's less money, mm. so there's less writers. So those writers have less power because there's no unions or anything. Um, and so if people don't want to discuss it, the writers don't can't do anything. Whereas in America, there's so many writers, it'd be very difficult to keep them, you know, to sort of go, can we not really talk about this? Like on shows often, you'll, well, not often, but they went through a stage where it was happening more they'll ask if you can be put down as production uh, program associate rather than yeah, I've seen that. What's that about? That basically means there's a lot of writers on this show and we don't want it to look that written. Right. Or the host is uncomfortable with the fact that there's so many writers listed. So can we put you down as program associate? Because you still get your credit, but it's sort of hidden in the smoke and mirrors as to what program associate is so everyone's happy the host and the show don't feel like people are going to go oh 20 writers on that show and I thought it was rubbish you know the host can still you know not look like they've had a million people giving them jokes because it's a vicious circle because people don't understand how a television show is made and how long it takes to record they'll watch half an hour 28 minutes whatever 26 minutes depending on the channel. And they won't see that many jokes necessarily. Hmm. 
because a lot of it has come out in the edit. But that show took two and a half hours to record. A lot of material was needed. So in their head, they're like, well, why would they need four writers, five writers? Mm. They, they didn't say that much. And, and that person's funny. People always go, I thought they were funny in their, their own right. Yeah, go, yeah. Well, of course they are. What are you talking about? You know, they, they, they forget how many years these stand-ups have had to travel the country, you know, becoming good enough that they get offered a TV show. You yeah. know, that's a big journey of them being funny. But once they get a show... They're also doing other things, you know. They're also doing maybe radio shows and other people's shows and, you know, podcasts and all sorts of other things. And, you know, on a show like Have I Got News For You, it will take three writing days and three writers a day on each day just to get enough material for the host. So imagine if the host had to do that by themselves. Yes, yeah, insane. And, and they were also doing all the other things they do, you know, being actors, and it's just the maths doesn't work. Of but, course, they're going to need people to help them. Also, they can't use a lot of their stand-up material because once they've said it on a TV show, it's burnt, it's gone. Yeah, you know, so so they they don't want to use all their all their live material on a, on one episode of a television show. So that leaves them starting from you know, zero in terms of, particularly if it's a topical show and it has to be written every week. Yeah. So the short answer is, I think people don't understand how television shows are made here. And so people don't want the public to think that they're not funny in their own right. And I don't know, really. But but does it frustrate you, you know, when you do get those people commenting, saying, oh, I thought they were funny in their own right. And then, you know, combine that with maybe get credited as program associate, do you find it frustrating that you're not getting the, yeah, the acknowledgement to a certain degree? Is 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 that person? Because I know really what you know, doing what you're doing, you're writing for that person, and it's actually you know you've got to be quite, yeah, it's, it's egoless, isn't it? You're not really attached to your ego because you're you're creating this material, you're giving it to somebody else, and then they're performing that. But is there a sense of like, oh, it'd be nice to be acknowledged? Um, sometimes it depends. Really, it depends on the show it depends how much work you put into the show it depends how much of that how much of the material that you've written got used yeah it depends okay. I, I care less now when right. you're starting out it means a lot more it means a lot more mm. now I'm, if someone wants to put me a program associate i'm like oh whatever i don't care you know i'll go something <laughs> else okay it, it doesn't really it doesn't bother me now on a personal level it doesn't bother me but on an industry level it does bother me because it's all colluding to hiding writers and making people feel bad about having them and you know I just don't understand it because nobody feels bad in America about having writers they encourage it they celebrate it like I said they you know it it's seen as a as a it's it's known to be a job and there are pathways to get in and whereas here it's all kind of shrouded in mystery and yeah I, 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 I don't mind too. not being credited as a writer it's fine yeah but yeah, I think I think there should be a, a, a more of a push to sort of say this is something that happens and maybe explain to people why it happens, you know, because it is unfair on the hosts as well, because they shouldn't be made to feel embarrassed for having writers or that they shouldn't be made to feel that they're not funny enough to write it on their own because yeah. it's impossible. It's just impossible. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jimmy Fallon doesn't pretend that he stays up all night reading the newspapers 
you know, he's got to host the show. He hasn't got time to to sit in a room and, and go through newspapers and write topical jokes. Yeah. You know, he just hasn't got time to do that. There's too much material needed every single day. Well, so, it's the same with like narrative and scripted shows in, in the US. You've got the showrunner and the creator, but he's got a whole team of, he's got a whole writer's room that are working on episodes. He can do it. Yeah. All. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Things always get compared to America, but it's like the money there and the amount of people that they have is just, you know, they have someone, someone to do everything. Whereas here, one person ends up doing five jobs. You know, people will be writers and producers and directors and, you know, jobs get rolled into one because there's not money to have 50 different people. I've asked this question before on the podcast, but, you know, seeing as we're on this topic, uh, I wanted to ask you, knowing that, knowing, you know, how bigger it is in the US and budgets and so forth, have you had, um, you know, has there been inclination on your part to want to go over there and see if you can do what you're doing over there based on the fact that you've got these bigger budgets, based on the fact that, you know, writers are credited in the right way, et cetera? Um, I did spend a bit of time in New York. I was going out with someone who lived in New York and we would travel back and forward. So I did spend a bit of time there and I did talk, I did talk to some people and I spoke to an agent out there. Yeah, if I went out there, I think I could definitely, you know, get some work doing monologue stuff because I've got a lot of experience. And I've worked on big shows here that they know. I think that's a problem in America. They don't often know a lot of our shows. Right, yeah. But they do love British comedy. So I do think it would be something that... But I suppose the problem is, really, you need to go when you're younger. You need to go out there when you're 25 and be like, yeah. But I wasn't going to do that when I was 25. Because, well, because I don't normally go, yeah. (laughs) But also because you haven't got any experience then. so. Yeah, you haven't got the confidence to go out there and go. I can definitely do this. But by the time you get to the point where you're like, I can definitely do this, it's like, mm, do I now want to move to another country? And the problem is, I think it's you basically get staffed on a job in America. So you'll get staffed on one show, and you will work on that show every day. Mm. So you'll be in. If you're doing monologue, you'll be in really early. You just work on that monologue every day you don't have the variety that you have here where monday i'll be doing eight out of ten cats tuesday i'll be doing have i got news for you you know i like that variety and it means that you can work all the time you know i have writer friends in america that if they're not staffed on a job they're in trouble yeah because there's not really any middle ground because they're obsessed with staffing people because you've got to get on staff because you've got to have your insurance you've got to have you know you're that regular wage whereas here it doesn't really work like that and I suppose I would worry that I would lose my place on a lot of shows okay and you know you're 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 totally replaceable Mm. you know there's new people coming in all the time and if you've spent years making sure that you're a regular on shows and then you just get up and leave and go you know so I, I I'm a worrier in that respect I would think am I just gonna burn everything that I've yeah, you've created up till now. I've created here to mm. go to America and sit in a room and just churn out monologue jokes on, on the same show with 25-year-olds. Yeah. I've made that sound quite depressing, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, you didn't, because you added the yeah, the you know, the yeah bit was yeah. yeah. And also, I suppose I I like the fact that a lot of comedy is in the detail. And I and I I worry a bit that I would have to 
you lose a bit of the detail when you go to America because it's like you haven't got the back story of like, you know, loads of shows that were in, on in the 70s and 80s here that you can draw on or, or product names, you know. What are the funniest crisps? I know what the funniest crisps are here. If you go to America, what are the funniest crisps? I don't know. I'd have to go, do you see what I mean? Yeah, you've got to indulge. No, it's true. You've got to indulge in that whole US diet. It's much higher in cholesterol. So it's going to have a health impact as well. I would get so fat. I would get every time I go to New York, I get fat. Oh, same. Anyway, not. It's like it's like a kid in it's like a kid in a candy store over there. It's like, oh yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go Cat's Deli and have myself uh, the the Lux bagel for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, it's like sometimes I'll I'll look at their monologue jokes and I think that's I could definitely write that joke. That, that makes complete sense to me. And other times I'll look at one of their monologue jokes and I'll think I don't understand any of the words in that sentence. It will involve. The NFL, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's tough. It's a that's a minor lot. celebrities that I've never heard of. Mm. You know, minor politicians. Yeah. That you think, well, I only know, the, I only know the big ones. I don't know who this guy is. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's very true. I didn't think about that's that. where I worry as well that I'd be like, I would lose a lot of what I'm good at because I haven't got that detail. Mm. But I mean, there's part of it that sounds to me quite exciting there's another part of me that goes i can't be bothered i cannot be i do not have the the i don't, I don't feel that i've got anything to prove anymore that's great so I sort of feel like i've got a, i'm lucky i've got a really good job yeah and i can and i can you know do it full time mm. do i want to set potentially set fire to that some people have this thing in their head that that you know it's going to be better working on tv in america um I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, what's this shiny thing, isn't it, over there? Yeah, and it, and they do have more money. It's, it's, yeah. That's, that's for sure. Mm. But does that mean that your working day is going to be better? You know, you're going to be up really early. You're going to be in there really early, churning out these monologue jokes. And I don't know. Is that going to be more fun than sitting in sitting with my friends writing jokes about Susie Dent on Cats Does Countdown? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, and I'm not sure their quality of eggs are quite as quite as high as over here. I mean, no, depending on where you're buying them, I'm not sure. They've got they, different farming practices. They very much so, very much so. I um, yeah, I uh, I recently had dinner. <laughs> I had dinner. I was invited <laughs> to. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying. Glad to, you're eating, Steve. Yeah, I was no, worried about you. Yeah, no, it's just it, it was a dinner, and um, I I don't really eat chicken so much anymore but i did indulge on this occasion and it was a good it's supposedly like the good chicken not the bad chicken and then oh yeah and then i was like oh what's the difference between the good and the bad chicken and somebody said and then i remembered i watched this documentary i said oh yeah yeah no no the bad chicken is like they pump them up with all this with all this shit because they want to get them fatter and then the problem is they get so fat that their legs break yeah and and it's like it's really horrendous for the chickens it's very painful you know it's a much it's a much darker practice you know and unethical than you know, the more organic stuff. And then just sort of everyone went silent and just looked down at their plate of chicken. They're like, yeah, and no, I probably shouldn't have said that that right then. But this is the good chicken, so it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you got, yeah, you got, you got to pick your moments. Chicken. <laughs> but also, a lot of the documentaries that people have watched about meat practices, meat practices? No, we'll go with that, yeah. <laughs> Let's say meat practices are, are American and they have a completely different system and different rules and different laws. And a lot of the stuff that happens there doesn't happen here. 
And if you buy really good grass-fed meat from small farms, my dad was a vet. I just, I can't go vegan. I've tried. My body doesn't process pulses very well. (laughs) Yeah. You need to. You need, you're going to get your protein from your, your lentils and your chickpeas. I just can't, my body cannot break them down. And you've got to eat a lot more of them. You've got to eat a lot more yeah, of your protein. Yeah, you've got to get your protein. And people always go about the plant, you, you, you can get it from plants, plant protein. Yeah, you can. But if you can't break down legumes... You're not going to be writing jokes. You're just a big, bloated ball of air wandering around. <laughs> Who's this bloated woman? Sorry, I can't break down the legumes. You know, people need different diets. Some people need to eat meat. Some people are better without me you know so i don't believe in this pushing one diet on everybody i think you need to i agree i agree i did try i did try it i did it and now i'm a bit more relaxed with it yeah so back to back to the writing we've gone down down a cul-de-sac yeah a vegan (laughs) cul-de-sac um so as we said before you didn't intend to start off in in a tv writing career how did that that come about um so i was working when i was at university I worked in had various jobs working in pubs and things and I would meet you meet lots of people being a barmaid um and I would speak to people that work in tv and you know I would always think oh you know I'd love to do that it just sounds like a really exciting fun thing to do uh and I remember the what remember the white book I don't know if this still exists it was like a uh it was called the white book and it was a directory of production companies okay so I remember getting that and writing to as many production companies in there as I could to try and get a job as a runner and uh, I was doing part of my degree was sociology and I remember them saying when you send out surveys you generally get a 10% response rate and that's literally what I got I think I sent out about 100 letters and I got 10 responses and they were all uh no thank you (laughs) hello no thank you bye-bye and I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't know anybody, you know, that I mean, other than chatting to random people that came into the bar where I worked, didn't know anybody in TV. So I was like, oh, what do I do now? Um, and I was finishing my degree and I didn't want to move out of London. So I was like, I've got to get a job. Um, and then my flatmate's friend had just got a job working for um, a design company and they were doing like open like opening and closing titling sort of stuff sort of mm-hmm. design like um and I was like oh that's sort of tv in a way uh sort of graphics basically tv graphics and I was like oh, okay so um they were looking for a receptionist so I ended up going to work there and I was sort of their runner really slash receptionist it was a startup company so it was really good fun you know, it was proper Nathan Barley. It was Shoreditch. It was like just um, sort of Old Street, Clerkenwell Road sort of area. Um, you know, people skateboarding through the office. It was, it was classic and it was fun. Everyone was young and starting out. Um, yeah, they were doing sort of idents for TV. They they did the Channel Four ride. Remember the four that used to spin around? I used to love that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they did that um they did various other adverts and you know it was just a cool place to work and I would just answer the phones and you know just go and get toilet roll and go to the shop for people go and get coffees mm-hmm. you know just dog's body stuff but fun and 
then they started to change into like a, a games company, an interactive games company. And uh, yeah, I started to sort of work on the games side of things. And it turned into this company called Play Jam, which was games that you would play on your remote control through your set-top box. We didn't have the much, like Sky had Sky GameStar. And they, because they were Sky, they had a load of money. So they could buy in big names. So they would buy in like Disney character, you know, and like they would pay to use Shrek and stuff like that to make all these games. And we couldn't do any of that because we didn't have the money. So we had to make the games funny. We had to make them entertaining and funny, but without, you know, the lure of any big character names or anything. So we just used to have fun with it. Yeah, all the games needed text and the screens, all the loading screens needed sort of, you know, to push you to go and play another game or to advertise games. Games needed strap lines and fun things. So it was like your training ground. That was like your writing training ground without even knowing it. Oh, well, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, it was a good, they sort of let you sort of, in in a way, just be quite creative and not do what you want, obviously. But, you know, if you came up with this, we had this game called um, Boy Racer and the strap line was Trevor Engines. And, you know, it's just sort of just silly little things that we found funny and yeah. they, they would just let us put it on screen. But eventually they sold it to Open TV, American company and uh yeah the fun started to stop then it started to become a lot more corporate and a lot there was a lot less messing around a lot more how are we going to make money at serious money out of this and we were like oh just having a laugh and I suppose then I started to think I really don't like the corporate world the fun is going out of this and now I have to be in meet I'm pretty straightforward like I'll say what I think and that sort of business thing where you can't say what you think, you have to sort of shroud it in in, in business lingo. Doesn't work um, well. I just can't do it. Yeah. I was I'm not good at it. And I would end up just in conflict with people because I didn't really understand that you had to use the business but I have to put the business speak hat on. Yeah. And and I just thought this is not my world. I can't do it. And the the company was um basically changing and they were making people redundant so I was one of the people that got made redundant so I was like it's probably a good thing um so I had some redundancy money and I had to decide what to do so I felt like I had to stay in gaming because I didn't know anything else really and I was like am I a gamer now am I like a woman in gaming how did this happen but like low-level gaming as well not like you know Mario Kart it was yeah, it was so it was weird because I mm. sort of had this sort of weird niche again. I found myself in a weird niche where I didn't really know how that happened. So I there was a job going at Sony for the launch of PlayStation 3, 2, 3, whatever that was in like mm. 2005. And they were looking for an editor for their website. So they offered me the job as editor of the website, but it was a pay cut. And I was like, do I want to get any further into the gaming world? And then a guy that I worked with in that company knew somebody that worked on TV and they were happened to be out for a drink one night. And she said, oh, I'm doing this new panel show and we're looking for new writers. And I quite like to find some women. I think the general feeling was that they had female guests on and they would quite like some women to write for the female guests. And he said, oh, a girl I work with, she would be really good at that. And he gave her my name. And then they contacted me and 
Yeah, they sent me questions from the show because they would do sort of gag packs in those days, quite big gag packs, so that when they had guests on, they could suggest them things, you know, little gags and stuff that they might want to say, just short things. Yeah. Um, so they there was quite a lot of writing on the show. So they just sent it to me and I just thought, oh, this is fun. And also it was a little bit like the sort of stuff I was doing at Play Jam, like silly little wordplay and it was just sort of like a like I just found it fun so I spent quite a lot of time they said just do a day but I didn't I did way longer than that I was like yeah, oh, yeah. I want to make this really good sure and I wasn't getting paid or anything it was just a, they just wanted to see if I could do it basically so I spent loads of time doing it and then I sent it back and they were like oh we really like this they came back to me and said oh that was good can you do another day and I was like yes I can so I did more and then they offered me like a day a week, you know, not, not much money. I got like 150 quid or something. Yeah. But I was like, oh, this is fun. But I didn't really think much about it at that stage. I didn't really think, oh, this is a normal job. I just thought it's just a, a thing that's happening now and they need some material. And right. So, so I, I, yeah, they just kept sort of phoning me and going, can you do another day? And I was like, yeah, I'll do another day. And then they started to say, can you come in the office? So I went in the office and I would do work at a desk in the office. And then that's when it started to snowball, really. I think Dave Spikey was one of the team captains at that, at that point on 8 out of 10 cats. Okay. I mentioned that this was 8 out of 10 cats. I no. don't know if I did. No, no, okay. No, it was, like, I was, it was 8 out of 10 yeah. cats that they were okay. making. So they'd right. already made one series. Um, I didn't do the first series. And then the second series, I started to do a little bit of stuff. And then they were getting quite a lot of commissions for it they were doing a couple of series a year so yeah I started to write for the team captains then and it was Dave Spikey and I was writing stuff sending it to the AP and the researcher and they were emailing it to Dave Spikey and she sent me an email one day and she was really laughing because he'd he'd replied to her and said I don't know who's writing these jokes for me but can you get him to write me some more all right right yeah and she said it's when she was like hi I think you're a man and I and that's when I sort of thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, I've sort of been brought on so I can write for the female guests, but because Dave had a very specific vo- voice, comedy voice, that is not not being from Bolton. Yes. Yeah. Um, I could hear whether something would fit for him to say or not when yeah. I was writing it, and I'd be like, oh, this sounds like something Dave would say. Right. And so that's when I started to think, okay, it doesn't really matter who I'm writing for as long as I can hear it in their voice and try and imagine them saying it then I'm going to get closer to material they're likely to want and it doesn't matter if I'm writing for a man or a woman as long as I can stay in that in that mindset gauge their tone of voice yeah yeah and so then he left and then Jason Manford started and I started writing for Jason and Jason again has got a very specific voice Mm. and style and so I was like, okay, I'm going to apply what I learned writing for Dave Spikey to Jason, you know, try and make sure I keep it in Jason's world. And and that worked well. And then that's when they started to say to me, Jimmy wants, Jimmy Carr wants to know if you'll go in the writer's room. And I was like, what? So I was quite happy being on my laptop on my own Mm. thinking, you know, just that's how I'd always done it. And the writer's room was just looked so terrifying to me. It's this tiny little room in the corner and you would just hear girls and girls of laughter coming out there. It was all guys. And in those days, in that writer's room was like Sean Pye, 
Fraser Steele, Frankie Boyle, Charlie Brooker, you know, Neil Webster, just Jimmy, who I now know are all lovely, lovely, nice people. And it's fine. But then but it's it going to be intimidating, terrifying. isn't it? You would hear these bellows of laughter coming out there. And I'd just be like, you're not sending me in there, are you? Is it into the gallows? Yeah. And they were, and Ruth Phillips, who's the, she's like the director of Zeppertron now. Then she was like uh, the producer of Eight Out of Ten Cats. She's mm. so lovely. She's really, she's really mentored me and helped me over the years. And she's got such a lovely manner about her. She's got such a lovely, she, she knows how to talk to people and convince them to do things. And you don't even know that she's convinced you to do it. Right. She's got some voodoo that she does. And she just had a watch. She was like, it'll be fine. You just go in there, just do a day, you know, we'll see how you feel at the end of it. So I went in there and I was just like, oh my God, it was just mental because they'd all known each other for like 15 years. Yeah. yeah. So you're coming as an outsider. Yeah. It's so different being funny in front of people, you know, you know, they all had shared in jokes and backstories and, you know, and I just didn't know any of the references. And I was just like, and they're so quick. They were like laser quick. And you were just like, oh. And then it would take you ages to, to build up the courage to say something. And How long did, did it did you Did you say something on your first session with them or did it take you a few? I tried to write some jokes before I went in and okay. then just have them in my back pocket so I could just go. Whoosh. And they weren't particularly good, but they were nice to me. You know, they weren't like, ooh, boo, get out. Yeah. But they were just like, that's okay. You know, they... But I was just like, oh, that wasn't a laugh. That was a sort of, hmm. Right. So, yeah, it was, when I came out of the room, I was like a bit shell-shocked and a bit like, oh, God. Oh, God. And I was trying to say to Ruth, I just, that's not how I can be funny. I feel so stressed in there. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's not, and it's not their fault. They're not being mean to me. No. I just feel really stressed that I'm around all these people that are just, that just know each other and know what makes each other laugh. And I'm, and I don't that I just, I feel like I'm not saying anything. So how did you get around that? Well, that's when Ruth said, Jimmy does want you to go back in. Um, What you can do is take in the laptop and you can be the scribe in the room. So you can, and I know James touched on this a bit, but for me, that was a game changer because you you had the security of the laptop. Yeah. So, So you could write things down. If you had a joke and you just thought, I can't say it, I just... I'm not confident enough to be throwing this in with Frankie Boyle and Charlie Brooker. <laughs> I might just write this down. You could type it in. And then when Jimmy read the jokes later, sometimes he would read a joke that you'd written and he'd be like, oh, I like that. And you'd be like, you, would, you could learn sometimes without having to, because I'm not a performer in any shape or form. I don't know how people get up on stage and do comedy. I think it's it's so hard. And I just, it's not for me. And so, you know, even having to, you know say jokes out in front of people in a room when you first start is well I don't know I I think some people have that sort of confidence and you know that took me a bit of time I think particularly because of how good the people you know if I was in a writer's room the people that weren't very good I think I probably would have felt a bit better but they were just they were the best people perfect 
Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, if you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. That's a serious baptism of fire, isn't it? Going in as your first ride, yeah. remember those, those guys. And so, yeah. looking, I mean, you you went in there at that time, and you were the only female gag writer. In terms of where the industry is at right now, um, do you feel that there's still very much sort of a lack of women and minority groups in the writers' room? And if so, are there strategies that are starting to be put in place to change that? Yeah, I think so. I mean. I didn't see any female writers in the shows. I was like, I'm not, you know, occasionally somebody would come into the room, but normally they would be comedy actresses or stand-ups that right. sort of wanted to, I think there's a two, there's a two pronged thing here. I think, yes, definitely women and minorities are underrepresented in rooms. Absolutely. 100%. I think, I definitely think that's changing. I think more people are realizing that it it is a job and that it exists and, so therefore, more people are trying to get into it, mm-hmm. um, and that in itself means there will there's more more diversity. And I think shows are more aware now that they don't want a room that's just full of forty five year old white men, yeah, because it's it's not beneficial to the show either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think I do think we have to give it a bit of time to change. I think saying overnight is going to be hard because you know because of the way the industry has been, the people with the most experience, it's difficult to say, oh, we're going to staff this room with people with lots of experience mm. that have never really done it before. So we need to have a better training system bringing people in mm-hmm. and giving people the chance to learn how to write jokes and learn what works for TV. Because some people just come in going, oh, well, I'm funny or, an art, or I'm a stand-up and I know jokes. And it's like, but they have their own voice and yeah. it doesn't necessarily... It's not necessarily the same as writing. You know, I've been in rooms with absolutely brilliant, brilliant stand-up comedians. But they're not very good at writing for other people mm. because they have their own voice and and they haven't, you know. I mean, some people do it really well. Like Jeff Norcott's very good at it. Um, I'm not saying that all stand-ups can't write for other people. Obviously, some of them do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's a false thought process to think that you have to have been a stand-up comedian in order to be a writer for other people for me it's a bit of the other way around because if you don't have your own voice and you don't have your own way of structuring jokes and set you can change all of that each time you write for somebody new yeah that makes sense and and now i've forgotten what your original question was I was just just talking about um, whether yeah, there's been a change in terms of representation. Of yeah, I know ITV have been doing this comedy fifty fifty thing. Okay. I did a little talk there once, and that's um, you know trying to trying to not commission shows that don't have a fifty fifty, you know, male male female writing rooms and yeah. Do you think that's know, a good thing? Um, I do, as I say. It's going to take a bit of time because people need to be trained, and and yeah. there aren't that many women that have had a lot of experience. So it becomes a it comes catch twenty two because you want experienced people, but then you look at the most experienced people and you're like, oh, a lot of them are guys, right? So really, you need a mixed writers' room, really, of more experienced people 
and less experienced people, mm-hmm. then the less experienced people can learn from the more experienced people and you can have a more diverse room. Yeah. Because what you don't want is to just staff a room full of new people because I've been that new person and we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Sitting there terrified. don't know what we're doing. Yeah. You have to learn from people that, know, that have been doing it for a long time and then you'll get better quicker. The show won't suffer because it's got loads of inexperienced people on it. But you're also bringing in new people, um, you know, from different backgrounds, you know, uh, from uh, all different backgrounds. Because you don't, you just don't want a room that's just staffed with Oxbridge people. For sure. Uh, over the years, um, did you was there someone in particular that you felt was a mentor to you in terms of saying like, that was great, but maybe try doing this differently, or in terms of like the way that you you structure your joke. Well, oh, Ruth Phillips, Ruth Phillips at Zebracon was hundred percent that person. Right. Okay. You know, because I, the stuff I was doing for the for the for eight out of ten cats, it was sort of missing word type stuff. So they'd say, you know, one of the questions would be like, "Oh, what is?" A lot of it's based on statistics things. So it'd be like, "What is?" Have you frozen again? Have I frozen? No, no, I'm I'm just it's me. It's my concentration face. Sorry. Yeah. So it'd be like 80% of pensioners do what on a Sunday? And people would have to come up with, you know, funny words that might be in there. So then Ruth said to me, can you write topical jokes? And I was like, I have no idea. Which I think if I would, you know, if I was a public school guy, I would have gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't. I went, Confidence. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know if I can because I just got to be honest about it. I, I don't want to be in a position where I've said I can do something that I can't do. Yeah, I get that. So I was like, I was like, maybe, maybe I can. I've, I've never written them before. And she was like, okay, we'll go away, write some, <laughs> go away, uh, write some, and then come back and we'll go through them. Mm-hmm. So we did. I remember we sat in the cafe downstairs in, uh, in, um, at the Endermole building in Shepherd's Bush. And we sat in the bar and, uh, I gave her some stuff that I'd written and she went through it and she was like, well, this one, no one would ever say that on television ever in a million years. This one, that's quite good. This one, really good. That works. This one, no. And just went through it and I was like, okay, so let more like that, less like that. That's a definite no. That's too long. And so you sort of start to get an idea of what works. You know, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I work best with very honest direction. You know, I like mm-hmm. it if someone says that doesn't work, that does work, more of that, less of that. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't need to be sort of Molly coddled and sort of given sort of Yeah, I, I like thing. to know what's good and what's not good, and yeah. then I can move from there. And I and I'm I'm good at learning by that way. And so I'll go, okay, these are no, these are yes, these are no, these are yes. You know, and in the same way that I'll watch back stuff that I've done yeah. on TV and I'll see what's made I've always done it, what made what's made the edit. Mm-hmm. because just because something's got in the final script that's only gets you so far has this made the edit you know why has that joke made the edit and that one not and is, that it's disappointing? Not always the is it disappointing when when you see that your jokes don't make the edit or maybe they get changed beyond recognition well not really not if it were if someone changes a joke and it makes it better then great okay yeah if they change a joke and make it worse you just feel a bit you're just a bit like what have you done that for Hmm. Will you ever say? But, you know, uh, will, will you ever confront someone and say, "Why did you? Why did you do that? Your shit. It was funny before." I mean, I would if it was a producer. Okay. Particularly if I know them, I'd yeah. be like, "What are you doing that? You ruined right. it." Yeah. But not the host, no, because the host no. has to. The host has to 
change something to make them comfortable with it. So sometimes they will change a joke and you think it was better before, but they have to make it in a way that makes them happy and happy to say it. And it, and if that change means that they can sell that joke better or, you know, they're just more comfortable with it, then that's their choice. And, you know, there's no point in telling them they've done it wrong because yeah. that's my opinion and they might prefer it the other way. And they're the one that, uh, that's what I always say, they have to get up and say those words in front of people. So they have to have confidence in it and they have to, you know, they have to go, okay, I'm, I'm happy to say this rather yeah. than just saying something that you've written that they're not particularly comfortable with. And then if it goes wrong, they'll be like, whereas if they change it and it goes wrong, it's at least you. you can sort of go, oh, yeah. you move the important words around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were there for a reason. There's a certain yeah, rhythm. Order, jazz. <laughs> it was in, back to my jazz days. Um, it's probably not going to make sense because I feel like we talked about <laughs> But anyway, um, <laughs> do you find that there is a specific uh, segment of time where casual chat needs to ensue in a writer's room before you take part in any writing? And if so, what do you feel is the average length of casual chat that needs to occur before everybody is comfortable enough to start getting down to business? Uh, an hour, 10 till 11, casual chat. Really? And so if you're somebody who's not, akin or comfortable to comfortable chatting then you're going to find it hard would you say if, if you're somebody who's just like they just want to knuckle down and get to it it's not for them well, that's fine and it depends on you know who you know in the room if it's people you know it's always good to have an hour's chat in the morning about just the get, world you know, and news and things that are going on that potentially could be good material or just about what happened last yes. night and what you ate for dinner not so much that a little bit of that maybe what people have been up to but yeah a good chat about the news things you've seen in the news funny things you know do you find it's, mean, impor it's important to be very well read in in terms of keeping up to date with with the news on a daily basis reading lots of different types of newspapers so that you're yeah, aware I think of what's going so. on i'm not one of those people that's like i don't read that newspaper i can't be dealing with that attitude yeah. i can't be dealing with that well i only read the guardian uh you know yeah. it's like what are you talking about you know I understand the reasons why people dislike a lot of the tabloids. I understand the reasons why people don't like the Mail and the Sun. Uh, I get it. Yeah. But the Mail and the Sun are very useful when it comes to joke writing mm -hmm. because they they incorporate a lots of funny detail a lot of the time, and you know they've been invaluable to me writing jokes over the years. I can imagine. I mean, if you're in a, if you if you're in a room and they they're leaving the, and they say you can only have two newspapers in here to write jokes from, I would say the Mail and the Sun. Don't you know? Don't leave me the Financial Times. No, try as you know. The Telegraph is just not as much use to, when it comes to joke writing as the Sun and the Mail yeah. because they're they're you know they're ridiculous papers. And I'm not saying that you learn a lot of news, and I'm not saying that their attitudes are great, but the sentences they use and the detail that they put into stories really really useful when it comes to joke writing yeah and also it's good to read different opinions because if you're reading different opinions then you can decide what angle you can use to to formulate a joke if you don't know what other people are saying you don't know what's on the other side of that coin how can you make a joke about it yeah so i mean you know i'm sure that lots of people are like we're not having the mail or the sun in the writer's room and it's like okay but well, wasn't wasn't that the issue? I will be. <laughs> wasn't that the issue recently that you know? Uh, have I got news of you accused of being too too leftist? But with that, they're just taking the piss out of the current government. So 
in reading. Exactly. I always find that with the BBC, that the left say that the BBC's too right wing and the right say that it's too left wing. So it's like, well, then it's doing its job, isn't it? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's impartial. It's impartial. <laughs> it's yeah. in the, it's in the middle. It's a bit of both. Yeah. Having worked, you've worked on so many different panel shows and talk shows and, you know, award shows. What's been your, in terms of your experience of working with celebs, how's your sort of your view of the notion of being a celebrity? I don't know. Has it changed? Has it, have you witnessed it affecting people's behavior in different ways? Uh, yes. Some people deal with fame really well and don't let it change how they treat people. And some people don't. Some people just get sucked right into it. And you see that change in them, from like coming onto a panel short show or something early doors, and then a year down the line they've blown up. And you're just like, oh, "Fuck you!" Yeah. Right? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, really? I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. And so some people are weird. like, you know, it must be a weird thing to see that change. And you know, you see someone is a certain way, it might be like norm, you know, quite normal, well adjusted, and then suddenly just switch. Yeah, it's a shame because you're just like, oh, you've you drank the Kool-Aid. It's that switch really where they, they suddenly think that they're better. Right. They're better than everyone else. And then they're more important. And mm. and it's like, I can't be dealing with that at all. I really hate it. It's like, I get it. You know, you need to do certain things differently because, you know, you're in the public eye. I understand. But, you know, we're all just people. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not, it's just completely unnecessary. How's it dealt with? I mean, with some of my favourite people. Yeah. Someone like, I love Alan Carr so much. I just think he is just the embodiment of, he's he is how you imagine he would be when yeah. you see him on TV. Uh-huh. He's so lovely and friendly. And, yeah. you know, he he would happily sit and have a drink with you. And you yeah. don't feel that, you don't feel that he actually wants to go off and talk to somebody famous. Yes. You know, you don't. Yeah. You do feel like that with some with some people. You feel like, oh, they're they're saying hello, but really they want to go and talk to somebody more important than me. Mm. Whereas Alan never makes you feel like that. He always makes you feel like he's having a laugh with you, and and he's just a nice person. And uh, yeah, I always you just you feel relaxed around him, and then you, then you feel that you can you know be funnier because yeah, as a result you can do your best work. Um, yeah. Okay, so we we've talked we talked a lot about career stuff outside of um, writing. What do you do, Christine, to unwind and relax? I know, obviously, granted, this year has been quite uh, different, but in general, what what have you always done to take your your mind off things? Or are you or are you somebody that's always thinking about the gags? Um, I mean, I like being funny. I like being around funny people. I like making people laugh. I like people making me laugh. So that's always something that's happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's even when I'm trapped at home, we have our, you know, like everyone else, we have our like WhatsApp groups for, you know, a writer's room. You know, we, we sort of try and keep the writer's room going on, on WhatsApp and we'll do topical jokes and, that's good. you know, back and yeah. forth like we're in the room. So those are particularly over the last year have been really invaluable, really. Yeah, Just imagine. knowing that you can still, you've got that outlet, really. You need that sort of outlet to, because otherwise, I don't, you know, which is another reason why I couldn't be in a normal corporate world, I don't think, because you don't have that outlet for this sort of madness that of always trying trying to find the funny thing to say or always, you know, where my focus is, even in sort of serious situations. Yeah. yeah. Which is a curse sometimes. People are like, do you mind? And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what do I do? Uh, well, I've got certainly started exercising more. I find that's really necessary for because it's such a sedentary job. You know, yeah, I you always say, day, I, I, yeah, I'm like a long distance lorry driver. Yeah, I just don't move around much in the day. And mm. some people I know when they're working from home can like some writers I know have to go and do things. So they'll someone I know goes to the gym and like write stuff down while they're in the gym and they'll put stuff on their phone and wow. you know that's their way of kind of but I can't do that if I if I go to the gym in the middle of the day I'll just get distracted mm. you know I need to sit and focus yeah and so I just you just do so much sitting down and it's not yeah. good for you so exercise so, you're finding yeah, is useful. a lot more exercise yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. also learning a language Ooh, like an what, asshole. What languages are you or what language are you learning or have been learning? Uh, well, my boyfriend's Italian and his family don't speak a lot of English. So when we go to Italy. Where in Italy uh, are they from? Um, Modena, so northern Italy, sort of near Bologna. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting because for me, you know, meeting lots of new people and his friends and stuff, when I first met them, you know, what I consider my superpower, being able to make people laugh and, you know, in order to get along with them and for them to think I'm, you know, fun, yeah. gets taken away when you've got that language barrier. Yeah, and sure. so they, some of his, one of his friends said to me something like, I like you, even though you don't speak. And I was like, I do speak. So it's just. Is it a compliment? Like, oh yeah, I guess so. He just thinks I'm just this like mute woman. Even his with niece, a very friendly face. Her, yeah, his niece and I met her. She was like five. She was really excited to meet me, and then she was really disappointed that I was this like mute lady that didn't say anything. Yeah, and she's like talking in my face in Italian, and I'm just like I don't understand any of this. And she, the look on her face is literally like, what the fuck is she? What is this that you brought me? Yeah. This, I had the same experience. I, I had the same experience. I was I was going out with an Italian girl, and I went to meet their family in uh, in Naples, and um, yeah, couldn't speak Ooh, a word of English. I see. Yeah, it was serious, <laughs> spicy, serious, spicy, and hence, um, you hence, went hence, in. hence the relationship uh, no longer existing. Um, but um, yeah. you're still alive, though. So. I'm still alive. No, I need to tell the story. Um, currently turning into a script, but um, they it's uh, it, it's. It's, it's a funny feeling, isn't it? Like it makes you feel a bit like a kid, like an awkward kid. You can't communicate yeah. properly. Uh, it's like the yeah, odd it's football was the one that... thing I had. Football, that was it. Because they had a few names. Uh, Maradona. Ah, <laughs> Maradona. Because he's, you know. Na- I mean, I talk a lot about food. Food, food and football. Always, the two Fs. I'm, yeah, I'm always just. Uh, I just say I like things a lot, or I really like things, or talk about food and how delicious it is. Yeah, and I. It just, I just, it's, I hate it. I hate how hampered I am and how nobody really knows my real personality because you're just constantly, you know, stuck in this mid ground of just trying to explain basic things. And they're yeah. trying to explain basic things to me, and I'm, and then they're all laughing about something, and I'm, I'm trying to get my boyfriend to explain it to me, and he's like, it's quite complicated, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> the worst, yeah. Funny person. His mum was, was saying loads of stuff in Italian, and she she was talking, 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 talking. And then I said to my boyfriend, "What was that? What did she say?" And he went, "Oh, you know, just some mum stuff." And I'm like, "No, you got to tell me. You got to tell me what the mum. You got to just go just some mum stuff. I need to know what it is." They do say a lot yeah. of words though. That um, uh, it seems like they're saying yeah. a lot for quite something that's actually quite succinct. 
you know like a 10 minute sentence could just be like what we having for lunch which i love i mean so expressive is an expressive language are you using which which things are you learning are you doing it via duolingo or anything like that are you doing this well i've got duolingo but also i was doing a course at city lit oh you went in okay so i went in um and that was going quite well but then it sort of starts it starts to get away from you because you're like i'm all over this yeah i'll be a chair and then the next thing you know it's like really complicated past tense things oh that's where it gets that's where i tripped up it just started to like just escalate away from me and i was like oh and then it covid happened and then it was all on zoom so then you're on a zoom call with the teacher and like 15 other people and then some people are really much worse than you and some people are much better than you and you're just sort of in the middle and then he kept putting you in breakout rooms with random people you didn't know and you had to have a conversation you're like well they can't speak I can't speak I don't know if what they're saying is right yeah I had the last one in September and I was like I don't think this is working for me anymore so I had a big break from it and then I'm now panicking that we're gonna have to go to Italy at some point and they're gonna expect my Italian to be much better and it's gonna be worse (laughs) they're gonna be like this woman is an idiot so I've now just started with my agent actually whose mum is Italian and she wants to learn italian so we're now having um like private tuition on zoom through italki oh yeah 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 it's good yeah so we found a woman on there Mm. and we had um yesterday we had like a tester lesson with her and she's really nice yeah just make sure you don't know what i did where i just sort of like you know no she's good but i'm just going to try one more and i went through about 20 different teachers having like one lesson each and doing the same lesson no, oh, over again. Yeah, we we like her. She's nice. Yeah, yeah commit. She's friendly. She's patient. That's what we want. Me and my and my agent had the same thing where we're like, we don't want to feel like we're being bullied. We don't want somebody. Because um, I had this teacher once who was like quite an old Italian guy, and he was just sort of pissed off with you all the time if you <laughs> if you couldn't remember the last lesson. That's and it's worst. like, I'm a grown up. I really don't. I don't want to feel that I'm learning through fear. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to be pissed off with me and get angry because I can't remember the word for vegetables. Yeah. Food's oh. the one. I said, start with food and you go from there. I just want, as long as I know my food, then I, that's at least a starting point. I'm all right with that. Yeah. I need to have some basic chat. But yeah, but sometimes also I'll try. Last time I was there, I, was, I got a bit brave and I started to do some, trying to do some speaking. And uh, I was trying to explain something to one of his friends. And it was obviously so bad that his friend just went to me, just say it in English. <laughs> Just say it in English. He was just couldn't couldn't bear to listen to me mangling his language. Just say it in English. So, yeah. I'll, I'll understand. So destroying, like, isn't it? Hey, sorry. Yeah. Scusa. Scusa, scusa. Yeah. Mi dispiace. I spend a lot of my time going. Mi dispiace. And yeah. uh, and there's a you know there's batuda and batada. The difference between that I got that terribly no. wrong. Batuda is batuda is joke. It's a joke, and batada okay. is. Uh, Whore. Like killing your family. Oh, whore. Yeah, yeah. So I called called her mum a whore the first time I met her. Um, which, luckily, they had a sense of humour. They had a sense of humour. But uh, oh um, anyway, okay. So let, so languages. And are you? Do you read? Are you a book reader? Are you a fan of reading audio or audio? Or because um, the question is going to be: Are there any books over the years that have inspired you in in some way? Um, I do read. I. I'm a bit weird with things that I like to read, really. I mean, in terms of comedy, I like, I'm 
always go back to the Seinfeld scripts. Did you write a book with all the scripts? Or did you yeah, it's called them? the Seinfeld scripts, and it's like yeah. a big compilation of all the scripts, and it's just a, an amazing read. Genius. Yeah. It's just just lovely to just see it all written down and yeah, yeah I really enjoy that um I liked uh, Rob Long's book uh, Conversations with My Agent I don't know that um, yeah Rob Long is a, a writer he wrote on Cheers okay it's an interesting look into sort of the American system and he was uh yeah he was on the writers on Cheers and then you get sort of staffed like you know I was saying they're obsessed with staffing people so even though you're not working on a show if you've worked on something big like that they might staff you at um, a studio mm-hmm. and basically hope that you'll come up with a good idea right. <laughs> so they would like to sort of pay you to be around writing stuff and having ideas in the hope that it might turn into something and then if it doesn't they sort of let you go and then it, it was just a sort of strange system and then it sort of intercut with him having like phone conversations with his agent and his agent kind of you know who sounds a little bit like joey's agent in friends quite straight talking and yeah but yeah i thought it was interesting and he's funny he's very funny i like to read a lot of books about nutrition weirdly okay. i just find the very interesting so i've read a lot of sort of uh, spoonful i think it was and recently read spoonful and um uh why we eat why we eat too much in brackets and gut that was very good that's sort of it's just something i'm interested in really do you find you just do you read those and you like you incorporate some of the tips for like a week or so and then to fall off the wagon or do you just stay um, with them i sort of did for a bit but what i found was i needed to take a more kind of holistic approach and to sort of incorporate instead of doing incorporating one thing and then after a couple of weeks going well that doesn't do anything trying to incorporate lots of them so that the collective you know one thing on its own yeah it probably doesn't do a lot but if you incorporate lots of them yeah. so now i it's something that i'm sort of sticking to but I then if you do slightly obsessed with gut bacteria if you do a lot of them at the same time how do you know which one's working then well i think that's sort of the point really you incorporate as many as you can and then you just see if you feel better you know i think i don't i don't think one thing on its own does make yeah, a big difference, difference. But yeah. that's how the human body works it has to be lots of different things coming together you know so what's your game changers which ones have you done that you think or like a, a combo of things that you think oh yeah i feel much better for this oh well, recently i've just felt so much better i'm not eating a lot of grains okay without meaning to get all gwyneth paltrow on your ass and um, because that's the thing i'll never tell anyone else what to eat or you know yeah, because i think it's very specific. It. yeah i think it's very specific to you and you have to try different diets and different things until you find a way of I needed a way of eating that works for me and doesn't yeah. make me feel terrible. Yeah. I think especially as you get older and you can't process alcohol as well. And you just, I was just feeling shit all the time. Lack of motivation, tired, difficult to write because your brain's foggy. So drinking a lot of sort of, you know, consuming a lot of fermented things. So like kombucha, kefir, things like that. Yogurt, not eating a lot of grains. That's really helped me not be all fuzzy all the time. So like cereal and, and rice and yeah, 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 yeah. It just right. makes me really, just makes me really tired. Mm, so I'm good same. with meat. I'm good with dairy. Mm-hmm. I just can't eat a lot of, you know, I'm, even even my boyfriend who obviously likes pasta yeah. is like, yeah, we need to maybe not eat so much pasta. It just makes me so tired and just um, yeah, a lot of exercise. Um, cold showers. I love a cold shower. You're doing cold showers in the mornings? 
cold showers. Yeah, every day I'm doing cold showers. Even yeah. if I have a hot one first and then end it with... So at first I was doing like 20 seconds and I was like, going to die. And yeah. now I could do like... I could have a full cold shower now. Is this Wim Hof? Are you doing it off the back of that? Yeah, like yeah. minor Wim Hof. I'm not getting okay. into large ice buckets. Although once you Yet. start getting used to the feeling of the cold showers it's like actually it's addictive isn't it how how mad would it be if you if you were like getting in ice buckets i bet you feel amazing afterwards. yeah i yeah. want to do that cryotherapy chamber thing where you go in to, the, yeah. i think that'd be amazing yeah. like I, that's what i mean i think like i'm taking simproof as well that um uh, yeah it's like um you know you get like actamel and things like that with the live bacteria in yeah well, and Yakult and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're all they're all rubbish because they can't they don't survive your stomach acid. Okay. So they just don't get to where they need to get to. Whereas right. Simprove survives your your stomach acid, and so it gets down to where it needs to get down to. So it's like live bacteria, and you're like repopulating your gut because a lot of the research now is saying that lots of disease and depression and you know problems we have come from your gut, your gut and yeah. not having enough gut bacteria, not having enough friendly bacteria. You know, people have been talking about it for years, but this is one of the first companies that's actually developed something that can survive. There. Sin as in like and a sin, a sin proof. Sim, S-Y-M. S-Y-M. Yeah, they, they were farmers and they were noticing that their cattle were like not well because the food that they were giving them was like just sort of cattle feed wasn't wasn't good and the, these young calves were were sick and so they developed this like germinated barley and were giving it to the to the calves and they were just all surviving and really thriving and they were like oh there's something in this and then they started to do kind of trials on it and the medical world started getting interested in and going hang on a minute what's going on here so they've been doing a lot of um, trials and testing and yeah it's interesting yeah it's like you said I, was like, I don't want to get all Gwyneth Paltrow and I totally get that but if these things make you feel good, then that affects your creativity, means you can have a better output. And also you can, uh, more importantly, carry on breathing and living. Well, that's the thing. Nice. It's like if you if you just do a cold shower, you might feel a bit better. But if you, you know, if you change the diet and you try and sort out your gut bacteria and you do a cold shower and you do a sauna and you do all these things together, those things can make quite a big difference. And that's what I've noticed. I just feel a lot better. I mean, I, I can't give up drinking because I'm at heart, a, you know, a very, very accomplished alcoholic. Yeah. But, you know, I'm trying to sort of manage it a bit. And because the older I get, the more my hangovers just really make working just That's terrible. That's isn't it? Yeah, no, I feel that. Um, okay, a final question I'm going to ask you, Christine, is what does the idea of balance mean to you or not? Um, well, all the things we've just discussed is yes. quite a good thing of like, but that's a lot of that's just due to getting older, I think. And like I said, having a sedentary job and, you know, trying to, you know, not feel terrible every day. <laughs> I mean, in terms of work, I think just trying to, because this job is so up and down, you know, which is why it's also not a job for everybody, because if you have a lot of anxiety about where your next pay packet is coming from, it can be quite stressful because you have low points where there is just no work around. And then you have high points where you're working a lot and you have to be able to ride through the quiet times and be confident that, you know, more work's going to come because I wouldn't have got to the, I, you know, I would have given up a long time ago if I started to get stressed about there being no work for two months because it just happens. 
particularly over the summer, it can be very quiet. Mm. So just being at peace with the fact that you're going to be working a lot and then you're not going to be working and then you're going to be working a lot and then you're not going to be working. And, you know, it's all right. And if that month period of no work turns into a year, then, yeah, maybe you've got a problem. Yeah. But, you know, you have to kind of, if, if you want to do this for a job, you have to be comfortable in the highs and lows. And, you know, I think Sean touched on this in his as well, saying that just take all the opportunities that come to you. Mm-hmm. So yes because to everything. You, yeah, even when I was doing those early days on eight out of ten cats, that wasn't that wasn't enough money for me to live on. Yeah. So I had to do other jobs at the same time. So I did a lot of website stuff. I used to me and my friend used to do like an agony aunt column where he it was he gave the male perspective and then I gave the female perspective. We wanted to call ourselves Richard and Moody, but we <laughs> we weren't allowed for some reason. So I don't know what we were called in the end. Can't remember. It was for Yahoo or something. We used to do it every week, and it was just a bit of fun. And they paid us. Um, I used to be the editor of the Big Brother website at his heyday. So yeah, there was lots of yeah, and, and to me, yeah. Big Brother was like you know it was still television. It wasn't I wasn't writing on screen, but we were we were doing the website, which was you know one of the biggest, most looked at websites in Europe at that time. It was just huge. Yeah. Um, and the newspapers used to take our stories and just cut and paste them, put them together and put their own byline on them, you know. So, right, right. But it was, it, those were mental times because we they ran it like a newsroom. So it was like 24 hours it was being staffed. And we used to do shift work. Um, it's going to be a good training ground, I'd imagine. Great training. Yeah, it's just, run. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't comedy in a sense, but, you know, we tried to make some of these stories funny and then we do video clips for the website and, you know, you would have to it would be good it was good to have a sort of comedy a humorous angle on some of them as well you know not all the videos were going to be massive fights some of them would be funny stuff and so you know it was it was interesting and it was also an interesting way to learn how television works and reality tv and and you know all those people that worked on that I've worked with various people over the years again you know I recently did a quiz show with uh, Sharon Powers who uh, who used to be a big cheese at um, Big Brother. So, you know, even sort of these side jobs that you think, okay, this isn't writing for a chat show or this isn't necessarily what I want to do. It's all, you know... You, you never know who you're going to... Yeah, you learn something, you never know who you're going to meet along the way and where that's going to, you know, uh, lead to at some point. Um, Christine, where, thank you for that answer. And where, where can people keep up today with what you're up to? Do you do the social medias? Or do you stay well away? I mean, I'm on Twitter, but, you know, I'm just guffing about. I think the problem is if I've got good jokes, I've got already somewhere to You've got your home for them. I've got homes for them. So I can't put – so, you know, I don't have the funniest Twitter in the world. It's just, just, you know, me. There are other people that, you know, don't do my job and have funnier Twitter accounts than me. But – you know, if I've got something really good, I often don't feel like I, think I can't waste this on Twitter. I've got yeah. somewhere, I've got homes for these. Yeah. So Twitter ends up being just like, well, yeah. And, and every now and again, I'll just put up a half thought and, you know, someone will quite like it. But, yeah. but it does sort of suit me that, you know, the sort of short form, you know, that's sort of what, what I learned in with Jimmy, you know, in those writer's rooms. Yeah. Out, take out all the unnecessary words and if you can get to the joke as quickly as possible. You know, some people don't like that. You know, some people like a longer joke and a more chat around. You know, someone like Jason Manford would like more of a more of a 
a chat around the joke than than too much of a one-liner. Yeah. But if you can write a one-liner, then you can extrapolate back from that and make a make a longer version. But I've just done the film BAFTAs and you know that's award. I mean, I could do a whole another podcast on award shows. They are just the craziest thing. Yeah, and I've done a lot of kind of that, but yeah. Yeah, they're just I was thinking about that yesterday because it's jokes by committee because you've got BAFTA, you've got BBC, you've got the production company, you've got the host. You know, everyone has an opinion on the jokes. Hmm. And, you know, some of the conversations you end up having about the wording of a joke, it's just because, you know, BAFTA are worried about one thing, the BBC are worried about a whole other set of things. You know, we're just trying to do some funny jokes. The host is trying to get through it without, you know, getting a load of shit. So it's just... It's a mad, it's a mad world. It really is a mad world. And, you know, it was Dermot and Edith this year. So um, it was much more of a sort of TV presenter vibe because obviously they're not comedians, but they still did a really good job. It's so hard. It's a really hard thing to do. And not many people could, you know, could do it, I don't think. But I did love writing for Graham Norton on it. He's just fantastic. Anyway. We'll do, we should do a special on awards shows. Yeah, we'll <laughs> I have back. a lot we'll, to say about them. We'll revisit that. We'll revisit that. Yeah. Um, so what's it, Twitter, where are you at on Twitter? Well, um, I'm like Xteen because I couldn't have Christine Rose ah, okay. because I think there's an American actress called Christine Rose. Yeah, there is. Also, there's a like a, a boat, a trawler called Christine Rose, but I don't think they have a Twitter account. Yeah, um, I did wonder Xteen whether before this. Rose. Uh, sorry, at what? Xteen. X-T-I-N-E underscore Rose. I'm not on Instagram. I keep thinking I should get on Instagram. I'm quite scared of Instagram. I've just, uh, I've deleted mine from my phone for now. And I've deleted it from my phone. And I've deactivated from Facebook. At taking, not very good at taking pictures of things. And I think, well, if that's all you're doing. Yeah, you just end up scrolling for ages. I mean, it's good to, it's a good, it's a good pastime on the bog. That's for sure. But then, you know, you just end up wasting a lot, long time. Then you get pins and needles. So. Remember when I was doing uh, I was doing X Factor and uh, writing. Not I wasn't I'm not wasn't trying to launch a singing career. <laughs> and uh, and um, I was uh, in the dressing rooms a lot and with all the um, the makeup artists and the stylists and stuff. And they just could not get their head around the fact that I wasn't on Instagram. They just didn't understand it. They were like, huh? They were like, but it's it's your CV. I was like, it's yeah, not my that's CV. That's how it is. <laughs> yeah. like, it's not my CV. But they're just like, who wouldn't have an Instagram account, you weirdo, you old lady troll? Like, what, <laughs> what's happening? I was like, oh, I just never really, I just thought I'm not great at taking pictures. And, you know, I, I get it if you own like a shoe company. But yeah. I, I suppose if you're a makeup artist and stylist, you want to take pictures of the things. Yeah, it's you different. Do. It's a more, vi- like, it makes sense. Yeah, it's a, vi- it's a more visual medium, I guess. So that is different. Yeah, I was just, just sort of, wondering how it would work for me on Instagram you know there'd be lots of pictures of kind of tired looking people in writer's room surrounded by packets of crisps we and empty cups. yeah and it's like does anyone want to see that maybe or, or just be pictures of Christine Rose the trawler just different exactly the boat. exactly the big boat yeah the big niche. Fishing boat niche profile um we can come back to this but we will revisit and we'll have to revisit a special uh, episode of, of the award. awards show special yeah yeah and uh, and then we can also come back revisit your instagram find out how you've got on which route you decided to go down or not at all or not at all 
uh, TBC. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. It's been great talking with you. Oh, you're very welcome. Perfect. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.